Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. How's it going? It's Anthony Cazenza, and this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We took a week off last week, uh, kind of needed to recharge the batteries a little bit after draft coverage and all of that. So apologize uh, for those of you who may have missed uh, our, our program last week. There was no show. Um, just kind of needed to relax a little bit. And uh, so we took the week off. Uh, we missed you guys. We missed everybody that, that tunes into this program. But uh, we will uh, be talking about the Bengals yet again this week, and we are back. Even though the draft is in the rearview mirror, there is still quite a, there are still quite a few bit of topics to talk about right now. Um, I'm going to be joined in just a little bit by my usual co-host Scott Schultz. He's going to be uh, I think he's going to be joining me for a little bit here, and we'll be talking about a number of topics. I just kind of want to start off with with a couple of things, namely a thank you. Um, you know. Uh, us that uh, that you know write for cincyjungle.com and all of that <clears throat> sometimes we we hear you know we, we get a lot of compliments and we get a lot of positive feedback and it's always awesome to hear but as always there there are folks that aren't going to like everything that you do and that's okay um and recently uh th- this program and myself got a little bit of a uh I don't know what you want to call it, but um, a little bit of negative feedback on Twitter from a certain listener and uh, kind of went a little public, but that's okay. Not everybody has to like the program. I, I hope everybody does, but uh, that's the reality is that's probably just not going to happen. Um, but and, and I am a people pleaser, guys. I like to, I like to give you guys what I want, but I, I was a little disappointed. You never like to hear negative feedback, and you know, this is kind of a passion project. This is something that Obviously, we all care about the Bengals. We all care about, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And, and I, you know, I have my platform, thankfully, through SB Nation and Cincy Jungle and, and through YouTube to talk about the Bengals. And uh, it is a prominent platform, and I'm, I'm grateful for it. But, you know, when you hear negative feedback and kind of unsolicited negative feedback, it, it hurts a little bit. No, You know, we, we – Regardless of what pro athletes or or whoever, not not that I'm on the same level, pro athlete guys, let's let's calm down. But regardless of what people say, you know, they, they get a lot of stuff in their Twitter, a lot of notifications, a lot of comments, a lot of that. Uh, I read most, if not all, of the the feedback and things, especially geared toward this program, because I want to make it the best as possible. So I got a little negative feedback. And, you know, I was kind of feeling a little down about about my abilities and what I was doing. And then, you know, I, I go in here today, <clears throat> I see a bunch of new subscribers, which is awesome, on our YouTube channel. Uh, I see some, you know, people, I, I, I just see things now that I'm like, you know, th- this is pretty cool. Andrew Seiler, uh, a guy uh, who 
apparently is a uh, subscriber to the podcast says loves this pot he loved this podcast um another user the north at its heights says great job guys love my Bengals fix on this podcast been a fan for 32 years and i'm english living in england and you know to me that's pretty cool and it's not so much about like hey let me pat myself on the back it's just the fact that this program and this show does mean something to 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 Bengals fans a, a contingent of Bengals fans and you know this is something I enjoy doing this is something I know Scott enjoys doing and and the guests come on from their own you know uh, f- from their own goodwill uh, they come on and the relationships I've built through working at Cincy Jungle and various podcasts and they've come on um, and it, it's it's cool and uh, I I just want to say that I appreciate all of the feedback, whether it's on the negative side or the positive side. Um, I, I do appreciate all of the feedback. I know Scott appreciates the feedback. And, you know, every for every one of those kind of negative comments that we've received, I, I see things like that. And uh, it makes us continue to want to do this and continue to make the program better and continue to um, be, you know, get you content that hopefully you enjoy. And uh, so I appreciate it. I hope you enjoy this show. We're going to do the best we can to make this a a podcast that you like, make it creative, all all of that. Uh, My, my co-host Scott Schultz, is, is joining me. He's going to be here in just a minute. We're going to talk about a a few things, Um, but I I wanted to get that out of the way, Scott. I don't know if, if you heard me just briefly what I said, we had, a gentleman from England comment on our YouTube channel saying he loves the podcast. There's other people who say they love the podcast. And, you know, I was feeling a little sorry for myself because I, I did receive a negative comment or two of, of late. And, um, you know, those kind of comments make it worthwhile. I'm not trying to pat ourselves on the back. I'm just trying to say it's cool that people like this program, people enjoy it, and they listen to it. One gentleman said he's from England. So it's pretty cool that, uh, you know, people at least – you know, 3000 or so miles away from where I live really care about this show and, and what I do and what we do. So I want to say thank you to the, the listeners. And I want to say thank you to you because this show would not be popular or doing what it's doing without you as, as my co-host. And, and no, I'm not, I'm not doing this just because Scott's here and we're on the air. I do appreciate Scott. And I, I have to say, Scott, yes. Scott really, Scott really champions it because I, so, I don't give him the best notice uh, in terms of programming and all of that. And he does, he juggles a lot of stuff of, uh, on his own life. So thank you, sir. I hope you appreciate some of the comments that and compliments we've received from some of our, uh, some of our listeners. And I just, I, I kind of want to start the show off with that because I don't want that to go unnoticed. Yeah. And I think we do this more as a fun or passion. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. we're not getting paid the big radio bucks or TV bucks, you know, we're not the four letter network or Fox sports and, it's just because you know we have a very strong interest in the in the team, what they do. We write for the site. We like to write about them. We like to talk about them because sometimes you know it's when you write, you're only going to say so much, and it's kind of cool to get to you know talk for an hour or so every every week or two and kind of share some more. And that's one of the cool things about you know a podcast is kind of like capitalism that if you like it, you can buy it, which of course is free. And if you don't like it, you can cut it, <laughs> keep walking. Hopefully you don't keep walking to the next one, but you know, maybe someone, maybe feel tune in just to um, say how horrible we are and maybe feel tune in because I think it's great. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, 
I would say for the, you know, all the time me and you have done this, I think we've really enjoyed it. We've had, you know, we've had some awesome guests. It's a lot of fun when we have other folks on here because we tend to agree quite a bit. So it's kind of cool to have yeah. people on here who, now usually they agree too. I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to find a Bengals fan who says, you know, Russell Bodan is great or, <laughs> you know, there's, I mean, there's a certain things that we, we don't have a whole lot of, I mean, we do have some dissenting opinions, but it's not like, you know, it's not like we're intentionally trying to find people to butt heads and be very combative, you know, right. Right. Bengals fans for the most part have a shared history of, you know, following the team, the struggles, you know, never, you know, that playoff hump and, you know, all the, yeah, we all kind of, <laughs> we, yeah, we, we with this team, you got to commiserate, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah. kind of the reality of things, but I, I just, you know, I, I don't want to go on too long about, you know, oh, how great is our show? I, that's not what this is about. I just want to recognize the, the compliments that we've received from a number of different listeners. And I want to also, you know, give a shout out to you, Scott, because I know you do a lot. You juggle a lot. You also do stuff for the for the CincyJungle.com site, as I do. Um, so, you know, you and I juggle a lot. And uh, this is a passion project. And, and uh, I, I just appreciate your work. I appreciate the compliments. And I just, I just kind of wanted to start the program off with that to start off on a positive note. I hope you're okay with that, my friend. Yeah, this is the... By far the best Bengals podcast I have ever done. <laughs> well, yeah, I, you know, you, you mentioned also the, the guests, and I, I do want to give a little uh, a thank you. Recently, over the past couple of months, we had Rebecca Toback of SB Nation and Cincy Jungle. We had Joe Goodberry on, John Sheeran on, Cody Toomey on. We've had a lot of cool guests come on, and, uh, you know, we're, we're, uh, we're pretty blessed in that regard that, yeah, you know, you could get the Mel Kuypers and the, you know, the Todd McShays of the world, but there are some other people that maybe don't have as prominent of a platform, but are just as knowledgeable on a lot of prospects and a lot of, you know, a lot of things. And we're blessed to have those connections. So thank you to all of those folks who have uh, been our guest co-hosts over the past couple of weeks as well. All right. Enough enough lovey-dovey stuff uh you know there, there, I, I do see some other comments in the in the live youtube chat too and i appreciate those as well i do see some questions we're going to try and get to listener questions at the end of the program as we usually do so keep those coming we appreciate it um we're going to try and get to to some of those uh as as we go forward i want to start though with the fact that the Bengals have, uh, in some form or another, taken the field. And we've gotten some first looks at certain guys, some workouts, all of that. Uh, you know, the rookies seem to look good. The team seems to be in relatively good health. Obviously, their first-round pick, Billy Price, um, still nursing that that chest, that pectoral injury he, he suffered at the Combine. But he is running and, and doing things, so that's good news. Um, and, and I do want to take a... Um, I do want to take a minute to recognize CincyJungle.com, Rebecca Toback and company. They've actually landed a lot of interviews with the Bengals' newest class. Um, so, you know, I think Jesse Bates was was one of them, their second-round pick. Uh, Malik Jefferson was also interviewed and, and others. So go check those interviews out on CincyJungle.com. We're going to try and get some of those players and others on this program as well. So keep your eye out for that. But one of the things I want to talk about uh, and what I thought to be probably one of the biggest pieces of, of good news for the Bengals is the hype surrounding John Ross. 
And there seems to be a lot of good news about what he looks like, his speed, uh, his recovery from his injuries. Um, Andy Dalton's made some comments. I see that, um, you know, AJ Green was coming to his defense. Uh, and, and, you know, there, there are a lot of, uh, a lot of good things surrounding John Ross and his, how he looks this offseason. Now, one of the things potentially that's going to help him as a pro is his, is working out with TJ Hushmanzada. And, you know, some of these things can be taken out of context or blown out of proportion a little bit in terms of workouts. And, you know, if you work out with a former pro or current pro, is how does that really help? For me, I, I think his working out with TJ Hushmanzada is really – is beneficial on the level of, you know, Ross may have this, all the, all of the natural skills that Hushmanzada didn't, the speed, the shiftiness, all of that. Hushmanzada was a great route runner. Hushmanzada was tough across the middle. Hushmanzada had good hands. Um, and so it's kind of like he's being mentored by a, not only a guy who is familiar with the Bengals system and, um, and not that they're running the same offense that, you know, Hush was in, but he's familiar with the Bengals culture, obviously. Um, and he's a guy who can teach him the nuances of what made him. It's kind of a very different type of tipping of the scales. You know, you got Ross who has the speed, the explosion, the big playability, and he was a top 10 pick. And you had Hushman Zada, who is the guy that, you know, great hands, slot guy, reliable, not very fast, all of that but still very successful and found his niche. And, you know, if he can maybe maybe give or tutor Ross on some of those complementary skills that maybe Ross needs to work on, route running, what have you, that Marvin Lewis maybe hinted at as to a reason of his rookie, his rookie season being demised, I guess. Um, I, you know, I, I think that's, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And, what I don't know is if I buy into the hype around John Ross. Is this is this a team and players simply kind of doing the coach speak slash player speak type of thing where, you know, hey, we're going to build this guy up. He needs his confidence, all that kind of stuff. Um, or is this is this for real? Maybe it's a little bit of both. I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, I, I think that um, – you know, I, I think John Ross obviously will take big strides this year. Now, the question is with John Ross, will he get the opportunities? Will he get any opportunities on special teams, which is something that he did well in college on kickoff returns? I don't think that's going to be the case, unfortunately. I mean, I, I think we've, we've talked about this on this show before. I think we need to – the Bengals need to get the ball in their most ex explosive players' hands – in every regard possible, but I just I don't know that they're going to risk a top ten pick on kickoff returns, punt returns, that sort of thing. We'll see. Uh, but you know, I, I I think that this could be a very very big year for John Ross uh, in his career. I mean, it's nowhere to go but up, kind of from last year anyway. But I, you know, I think I think this could be a very big year for him, and I think that if and call me Captain Obvious, I guess. But I think if he can maintain health, and if he can, he can 
do some things on the offense, whether it's, you know, the kind of the deep play balls, the screen passes and yards after the catch stuff or both. If he can do that, and if Eifert can stay somewhat healthy, if not fully healthy, big ifs, this this offense could be going back again to the 2013, the 2015, you know, some of these better offenses we've seen from the Bengals. Uh, you know, you got A.J. Green. A.J. Green's going to be A.J. Green. We know that. Uh, you know, we've got other guys on this uh, on this offense that, you know, Tyler Croft filled in for Eifert last year, had seven touchdown receptions, nothing to shrug your shoulders at. Brandon LaFell is Brandon LaFell. I think he's decent and okay. I don't think he's a game breaker by any means, but he has had a couple of big plays with the Bengals. And then, you know, you mix in Eifert, you mix in John Ross. I, I think that's going to be pretty interesting uh, when it comes to this. And, and I, you know, I, uh, I see Dean Burke in the YouTube chat. John has to work on playing physical in college. He burned by everyone, but there are guys in the pros that can hang with him. And I don't know if he could win those jump balls against quality CBs. Yeah. So I'm glad Dean brought this up because, you know, I mentioned Ross working with Hushman Zada footwork and route running and all that. I don't want to make it sound like John Ross was a poor route runner in college. That wasn't his issue. Speed most definitely wasn't his issue. Hands weren't really an issue. Um, you know, and, and he could run. He wasn't the one-trick pony guy. He wasn't the guy that just went deep. If you look at his college tape, you look at his highlight reels, all of that, you will see a guy who can do a number of different things on tape. And that's why he is worthy of a top-ten pick. I know people now go, oh, gosh, what a waste. He, he wasted his rookie year. I, I get it to a certain extent, but it's one year – you know, if we start seeing a Cedric Abwehi type of pattern, then maybe we can have this conversation. But there are things on film that make you believe that he is a good, uh, could be a very good NFL receiver. But Dean is correct. It's it's more of the bump and run stuff. Uh, it's he is He's not the biggest receiver. So when guys, you know, if you get the long, strong corners on, on him and you get on there early, uh, if they get on early in a route or, you know, bump him off of what he's trying to do, all of a sudden the entire play is kind of blown or if a play was going his way, it's, it's not really what he's doing. But to, to Dean's point, it sounds as if, you know, he's been working out more heavily. He's been... Um, you know, doing things to help his, you know, his entire pro career arc. Uh, and I hope that this is something that, um, I hope that this is something that will bode well for the Bengals this year. They, they need him. And I don't know if they need him to be the number two guy. I don't even know if they need him to necessarily be a number three guy right away in terms of receiving option, but they need a guy that can, take attention away from A.J. Green, can take the top off of the defense, Can has the ability to score on a deep ball. Uh, you know, I think if if Ross finishes with, I don't know, 700-plus yards and six or seven touchdowns um, on 50, 60 catches, I think that's a pretty successful season, especially given what he didn't provide last year. Um, you know, you may want, you know, the dual 1,000-yard guys, the green, you know, but that's just – it's not always realistic. But I think if you can get six or 700 yards out of him, you can get the big plays out of him. And 
you can do, you know, it doesn't always have to be the deep ball. It could be a slant. It could be a screen pass where he can kind of do his thing. Um, I think that's going to be a, a big key for the offense's turnaround. Uh, you know, we can talk about the offensive line. We can talk about all that stuff. Um, but I, I do think Ross is a big key to what the Bengals uh, want to do in 2018. Now he may not be the primary guy, but that doesn't matter. I'm going to get my, my co-host thoughts in, in just a minute here. He's, he stepped away for a second. He's going to um, come back and, and we'll talk more about John Ross and other players on the Cincinnati Bengals, namely the new guys that we saw at the, over the past weekend with the rookie mini camp and workouts and all that kind of stuff. Uh, this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, though. I'm Anthony Cazenza. My co-host, Scott Schulte, is here. You can get this program on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, CincyJungle.com, and you can get in touch with us on Twitter at BengalsOBI, and you can get in touch with us via email, uh, theobinsider at gmail.com. So get the program. Get in touch with us. If you have questions, we want to hear from you. Um, also do us a favor and subscribe you know, if you're not able to join uh, join us live on YouTube, that doesn't doesn't mean you can't still watch the videos and all of that. So, so subscribe to YouTube, subscribe to our uh, iTunes channel, subscribe to our SoundCloud channel. Get all the stuff as it comes out, and uh, we appreciate the support there. Scott, I was talking about John Ross. There's been a lot of positivity around Ross. This I've heard of him? Uh, maybe, yeah, maybe. Uh, there, there's been a lot of positive stuff about him. Now, I, I guess my question, I, I think it's a little bit of both. I think obviously there is improvement and people will see things he is doing this year that he was not doing last year. Um, but I also think it's, it's some of the veterans, some of the coaches, the quarterback, what have you, kind of publicly propping him up to make him, uh, to, to raise his confidence level that may have been, shaken a bit last year given everything that transpired uh your thoughts on john ross these comments uh whether it be from andy dalton aj green you know ross himself he is working out with tj hushmanzada and and you know the potential impact on the Bengals' offense in 2018 yeah i mean it's one of those things where obviously we were all disappointed <laughs> with what he did last year because he was rarely on the field and then when he was on the field obviously you know yeah, we don't need to go in that too well. He did not do what we were kind of hoping. The But you still have the thought this guy is a first-round pick. He was injured last year. We all kind of knew he was injured. I think it's, you know, a bit too early to write him off. Uh, you know, whether someone, you know, liked the pick or not, the fact remains that, uh, you know, the, the team wasn't going to use him very much. They, you know, Marvin Lewis is going on record saying he doesn't love you know, to use rookies unless he absolutely has to. He doesn't trust them. He's afraid they might make a mistake, whatever, whatever. And, you know, the other thing too, is you look back at the history of like first round pick rookies and, and of course there's no guarantee that this guy's going to be a great player or bust. I mean, right now we just don't know, but I think one thing he has going in his favor is if you look back at some of the players uh, who have been recent first round picks, who you could say, okay, these guys just, you know, did not pan out for whatever reason, just have not been very good. The one nice thing is he doesn't seem to match their traits. So I think there's some hope because you look at uh, guys like uh, Jonathan Baldwin, AJ Jenkins, they, I'm not quite sure why they got drafted in the first round. They just didn't seem to have the talent. Uh, Justin Blackman obviously had issues off the field. Uh, you know, 
you could argue someone like Philip Dorsett was kind of similar because he was a speed guy, but he didn't really have the resume that John Ross had. John Ross was considered as a better overall receiver. Uh, someone like Tavon Austin was short and undersized and kind of a gimmick player at West Virginia. You know, Kevin White was like a big athletic dude, but just wasn't a great receiver. He keeps getting hurt. Laquan Treadwell was kind of raw. And you know, the guys who haven't done well, I think some people can look at John Ross and say, well, yeah, he's another one, but he doesn't seem to fit their mold. Coming out, he was considered, yeah, he's a straight, fast guy, but he does more than that. And I think the most encouraging thing was when he met with TJ Hushmanzada, I think back in February or January, and they were running routes. And I really liked what TJ said, because TJ is a guy I think a lot of Bengals fans respect because he played for them for a long time. He was a late round pick, you guy who worked through the ranks, you know, fought his way from being, you know, he wasn't even the top receiver drafted from his own college because that was Chad Johnson, who the Bengals drafted in the, I think it was the second round that same year. And, you know, the things that he said, Rick, yeah, this guy, you know, he just hasn't had the good coaching he should have had in college, kind of got away with his speed. But you kind of got the impression that teachers like, this guy has what you want to see. And so I think there's like that hope that, hey, yeah, you know, he's starting to get that now. He's starting to get what he needs that, you know, he's, and there in the old days, um, and this is going to date me and you because, you know, we're not as young as some of these millennials or some of these kids. There was a day when, you know, guys like A.J. Green and, you know, Odell Beckham just didn't enter the league and all of a sudden crank out 100 yards and 10 touchdowns. There was a way back, you know, it was kind of considered a receiver's first, you know, great year was his third year. His first year, he'd do very little. His second year, he'd do a little more. And that third year was like that breakout year. And anyone who ever did fantasy football back in the 90s or whatever, that was like the gem. Like you look for those third year receivers because, you know, that was the year they're going to the pan out. And I think Ross is kind of like on that track. He's not a guy that you were going to come in in year one and all of a sudden catch 100 balls, you know, get 1,000 yards, even if he was healthy. I just – he seemed more a guy who – yeah, he's got the speed. He's kind of got the, the, the traits, but just isn't quite there yet. And so you're kind of – so – yeah, right now, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of optimism. I mean, hopefully in October, <laughs> we're still as optimistic as we can be now. There's no reason not to be because the people who are in the know who see him on a regular basis all seem to be positive, and I think that's kind of the, the thing you want to hear. I mean, if those guys weren't positive, then I think we might have a little trouble. So, yeah, until he proves us wrong, uh, I'm I'm inclined to maybe drink the Kool-Aid, maybe more than okay. I should, but – Okay. Yeah. yeah I, nothing wrong with it. I mean, I, uh, you know, I guess the only thing that could happen is you get, you know, uh, a little bit of uh, a, a disappointment if he doesn't live up to it. But, you know, it, you like to hear that he's working, especially at, working hard, especially after such a disappointing rookie season. You like to hear that he's healthy. And you like to hear that some of the most important people on the offense, Andy Dalton, AJ Green, are speaking highly of him and speaking highly of what he looks like, what he's doing, and all of that. So, um, you know, I we'll see what happens if, if, with John Ross. But I think if he could be at least this year a, a number three, a, a good number three or number four receiving option. Now, again, you got to look at. Your top receiving option is always going to be A.J. Green. Eifert, when healthy, he's going to be probably your number two outlet, especially in the red zone. You got LaFell kind of floating in there, mixing Geo. All those guys are in the mix. You know, I think if he could be a number three or number four outlet and still provide the big plays, the pop, uh, nothing wrong with that. And I think I, 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 I really hope 
for him. He seems like a nice, nice kid. Seems like he's trying to, you know, do things in his in his second offseason to really make make a better pro career for himself. And I think if he turns things around, the Bengals offense will turn turn things around pretty quickly. Scott, the other the other, uh, you know, aside from Ross and hearing about him and his workouts and how he looks and all of that is uh, we got our first look at least a little bit uh, from the rookies and the undrafted free agent class and all of that. Things look pretty good. Billy Price uh, was doing some things, running and all of that. He's got that chest injury, so he's he's going to be, uh, you know, they're going to bring him along a little slowly. I'm sure by training camp he should be good to go and probably will lock into that starting center position. But um, your thoughts on the Bengals' rookie, uh, rookie class taking the field? Um, uh, to me, I mean, aside the obvious answer to this question of, who could provide the biggest spark immediately for the Bengals in their rookie class? Billy Price comes to mind just because he's first-round pick and should be the starting center and all of that. Um, is there anyone else you think that could potentially, whether it's in the rookie class, the undrafted class, whatever, actually may have a bigger impact immediately on this team than Billy Price? Or is Price just the guy that, you know, huge position of need, huge unit that needed help first round pick he's the guy i mean I, there are a couple of guys i think that could come in and, and provide some immediate value i just don't know if they're going to be more a, a higher impact player than billy price what do you think yeah i think it's i mean it's got to be price because you kind of figure he's slated to you know barring injury um to take every offensive snap this year which is something they tried to do with Bodine for the last four years is once they get their center, they like to keep him in there unless he's just, well, even if he's awful, they, they'll probably still keep him in there as we saw with Bodine and guy check. And so, you know, barring injury, I think, you know, it's by sheer volume, it's got to be Billy Price. That being said, if we're looking for a guy, you know, kind of like a second guy, if we kind of all agree that, Hey, you know, Price just because he's playing, you know, every offensive snap. So he's going to have the biggest impact. No one really projects to do that. Uh, most of your people look to be probably rotational. I, uh, you know, I mean, guys like uh, Darius Phillips and Devontae Harris obviously are stuck behind, you know, Kirkpatrick and Denard and William Jackson at cornerback. You know, Alden Tate, if he even makes it, he's stuck behind like 20 people wide receiver. Uh, Mark Walton is stuck behind, you know, very good uh, pair of running backs. Sam Hubbard, you know, obviously uh, Carl Lawson showed that, he deserves more snaps. Jordan Willis is entering his second year, and that's even behind the two starters. So I think if anything, you're, I mean, it's kind of the easy answer, but you're looking at the first few picks, and I think it's not just because they are the first few picks, but it's also because they are the guys who fit an area where the Bengals have the biggest need. And you could, uh, and one would be Jesse Bates because the Bengals really haven't had a good free safety since Reggie Nelson left. And I know Aloka's played that position. Personally, when I watch him, he looks more like a strong safety, which is kind of what Sean Williams is. Neither one is a Ed Reed type of guy. They're both pretty solid and you know up up near a line of scrimmage, you know, run support. They, they like can, to hit. Yeah, they like to hit. Yeah. They love to hit. They can cover a guy if they need to, but they're not a guy that you just kind of trust saying go deep and you're just gonna ball hawk and get everything. That seems to be where Jesse Bates seems to be uh, different than them. So I think depending on what they decide to do with the defense, with the new coordinator, Bates has a good chance to get more 
playing time than people might realize if they decide to you know do something like that, like a single high safety or something where they they want to roll you know more. I know they used to do a lot of nickel uh, if they do something like that or something where they want to put you know maybe that with the linebacker shortages maybe you know if they decide to put someone like a Loka or probably more like a Sean Williams in that kind of hybrid safety linebacker role and then use you know I Loka and maybe Bates as safety so, so he has a I think he has a solid chance to get playing time and I know there was a video on Cincy Jungle last week of him uh, with interception so it's kind of cool because it's kind of what you saw in college he was a guy that you know he he plays the ball and that's kind of what he does the air one Malik Jefferson and that's yeah. Only if, I mean, yeah, because obviously Burfick's out. But you have to assume Lewis is going to let him uh, give him that chance because obviously Preston Brown's starting in the middle. And you figure Vigil and Vinny Ray, just because they're experienced, are probably going to get the first crack at the next two spots in that rotation, which means you know Malik Jefferson then has to fight through the rest of what's left. So if you go by talent alone – he may have more of it up, you know, more of a chance if you go by seniority and some of that stuff. It's eh, probably less likely. Some so the easy answer is just because looking at playing time opportunities, I think it's got to be the first three picks in that order: Price, yeah. and Bates, then Jefferson. I hate saying that because it's more fun to kind of pick, you know, that oh, the sixth round picks really going to surprise people and get a ton of playing time. But the way the roster shakes out, I just you know, barring injury, which you don't want to have happen, it just doesn't look like they are. Uh, built that way this year. Yeah, and, and maybe maybe Mark Walton is in there, depending on injuries at the running back position. If those occur, God forbid. Um, and, and what they, you know, and maybe they try him as a kick returner. Maybe they, you know, put him in in, in certain sub packages, and he's a guy on offense. It's just an exciting little, you know, a guy. The Bengals are not say what you want, and and you know it hasn't always worked, but the Bengals are used to playing three different running backs on offense. They did it with Hill, Geo, and Mixon. Um, yeah, I mean, Hill wasn't that successful, but they know how to spread the ball around within the running backs. And I think I think Geo is going to be more of a receiving type of option this year, just based on Mixon becoming kind of the workhorse, quote unquote, guy. Them adding Walton. Um, so I mean, he could be in the argument. To me, yes, Billy Price is the obvious choice, but I, I, I still look at Malik Jefferson. I look at a guy that he's big, he's fast, but he's raw. And, you know, we, that's what we keep hearing. He, he needs to work on his football instincts. He needs to work on sometimes angles and wrapping up and tackling and all of that. But he is a big play guy kind of looking for a place to happen. Uh, I Actually, today in my day job, I, uh, today being Wednesday, for those of you who aren't joining us live, um, I spoke with a coworker at my, my day job uh, who is a UT alum and he knows a lot about the Longhorns and all of that. And I said, Hey, I don't know, you know, I don't know if you and I have spoken about this, but the Bengals actually drafted a Longhorn uh, linebacker. He's supposed to be pretty good. He's oh yeah, that guy's great. That guy's awesome. Of course he's going to, he's going to lift him up a little bit, but he's like, I just said, yeah, he's big. He's, he's fast. He's quick. And um, he's got a little polishing to do, but, I think he's going to be pretty good. He's like, yeah, you know, give him probably a year or two, but uh, he's going to be a guy that's probably going to be a very good player for you. And I would love to hear, not that I don't, you know, I love Vinny Ray as a, as a guy and what he's done for the Bengals and all of that. Um, I would love to hear some of the rumblings. If you remember Scott back in the 2009 off season, when Ray Maluga was kind of a backup linebacker to Dahani Jones and Rash, uh, Rashad Jinti, if you remember that name. Um, and they were simply like, 
we can't keep this guy off the field. We 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 can't not play him. He is he is too good. And if you remember, I think very early into the season, he you know he ended up being a middle linebacker for the rest of his career. But he ended up taking that strong side linebacker position from GT. I had a pretty decent year as a rookie at that respect. But same thing with Perfect. They were almost like you know we got to find a place for this guy now. Unfortunately, um, you know it ended up being later on at the cost of uh you know another Bengals linebacker who who ended up uh, losing his life a little bit down the road um but the same thing you heard the rumblings about Vontez Perfect from the coaches and everything I think you get what I'm saying I would love to see something like that linebacker is one of the bigger positions of need as well like offensive line I would love to see and hear some of these headlines hey Malik Jefferson's turning heads and Malik Jefferson's the guy that we can't keep off the field because he's too good. Um, I, I think he, he could be one of, if not the best player in this class. I don't know if you agree with me or not. I, 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 he is boomer bust, and that's where you got to go in third round. But um, that's that's kind of my thought. Yeah, he's definitely boomer bust. And I think as opposed to some of the other boomer busts they've had in the past in that selection, I like his – Upside, even his uh, floor, better than some of the guys like the Marcus Hunt. I mean, Marcus Hunt was another boomer bust, but just had no instincts, no feel, looked slow. <laughs> and you see this guy, it's like, okay, he's a boomer bust. But it's, a, it's a very different kind of boomer bust. He was a guy that was considered a great prospect, you know, coming out of high school, you know, seemed to put it all together this third year at Texas, uh, you know, has shown some flashes that, you know, you kind of see that, hey, this guy seems to – have all the tools there. He seems to, you know, kind of shine this. If this all gets together, now, Grant, the odds of that happening, his historic track record isn't that great. But if it does, it's like, man, this is really cool. Whereas someone like a Marcus Hunt in the past, we've had a boom bust. It's like, oh, dude's big and strong. Doesn't really seem to have a sense. Kind of like a boy. He, he's big and strong. Doesn't really seem to have a feel for the game. I like that, you know, at least this guy seems to understand what you're doing out there plays with some you know aggression and some speed and so yeah it's a uh, yeah way early to tell and of course that is the one nice thing about this time of year is that uh, all 32 teams are pretty much you know going to say the same things about all seven guys or 10 or how many they picked you know man we got the best six round pick in the draft or oh my gosh we got the the best receiver in the draft in the fifth round and man we got the best quarterback and he wasn't taken until the fourth you know whatever <laughs> Because until they prove you wrong, you, you can be very optimistic. And everybody, everybody's going 16-0 this time of year, right? Yeah, even the Browns are going 16-0. <laughs> That's right. Uh, this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Gazenza. He's Scott Schulze. Thanks so much for tuning in live um, here at YouTube and CincyJungle.com. We appreciate it. We've gotten some questions. We're going to get to those in a little bit. Scott, in terms of – you know, this, this is funny because if you remember, gosh, months ago – we talked about you know visits and who the Bengals have talked to in the pre-draft process. And one of the guys was Chris Worley, the guy from Ohio State, uh, linebacker. You know, a guy that's he did stuff on special teams and was kind of a was more of a good player on a great defense or a great team. Um, you know, even you, the resident Ohio State guy, asked you about him. You're like, yeah, you know, I I, I know a little bit about him because he just wasn't the biggest name on that defense. Bengals drafted Chris Hubbard, a, a bigger name on that uh, from that defense, or Sam Hubbard, excuse me, uh, uh, from that from that defense. Uh, obviously, Billy Price, big name guy, uh, first round pick. 
And now they bring in Chris Worley, an undrafted free agent. To me, he is a guy that has a yeah, – almost every year, even in their best years, the Bengals seem to get guys on their 53-man final roster that were undrafted rookie free agents. Uh, Hardy Nickerson was one recently. Heck, Vinny Ray was, was an undrafted guy that the Bengals have had on their roster for a long time. Um, you know, there are a lot of guys that uh, – Bontez Perfect undrafted guy. So to me, Worley seems to be a guy that could fit that mold. Is there anybody else? I, I noticed you did mention Kevin White, the Bears wide receiver. The Bengals recently picked up his younger brother, Karan White, uh, from West Virginia as well. Uh, recently, big play guy, smaller than Kevin White, but uh, still had a decent career at West Virginia. Whether it's him, whether it's Worley, whether it's whoever else, do you see any diamonds in the rough in this undrafted free agent class? That is very hard to say without having a chance to, like, I guess, really see them in preseason or uh, training camp. So at this point, I don't have any. If I were to say, you know, someone other than Worley, he's obviously the biggest name. Uh, he's not a guy, if you watch as, a, as an Ohio State fan, uh, there's some linebackers you watch, you're like, wow, this I, well, I like James Laurinaitis, Chris Spielman were just, when you watch them play, this guy's good. You know, right, when you right. watch Worley, you weren't like. Now, obviously, if you were, you know, you were thinking that he probably would have been drafted. And you know, that being said, uh, there was a. I think the one guy who kind of sticks in my mind as someone who might have a chance is, and I cannot remember his name, but he was a. Uh, gosh, where the heck did he even play? He was a center from. Oh, Oklahoma State. I think that's it. Just be, and I. The reason I'm throwing him out is I have not had a chance to watch him yet, but just based on need at the position. I think they're pretty well convinced that uh, TJ Johnson's not the answer. I mean, he was a guy that they used last year at guard for a few games and then benched him right away for Trey Hopkins, who played out the rest of the year. And Trey Hopkins was, you know, for a first year, well, first year starter, wasn't really special, but had outplayed Johnson. Johnson uh, had never been able to uh, oust Bodine from a starting spot, which, you know, give that is what it is. But that being said, if they, you know, if you figure price is a starter, I think uh, TJ Johnson isn't guaranteed to be the backup. Uh, so I'd say, you know, someone like the kid from Oklahoma State very well could make the, you could make the 53 man roster and could end up being that backup uh, unless they decide to do something like try one of the guards over there, like Hopkins or Redmond. I think they move Hopkins there while Price was injured. Couple weeks ago, uh, that may also be another indication that maybe they are thinking T.J. Johnson's on the way out. So, depending on how it all shakes out, I mean, obviously they are now without Andre Smith or without Eric Winston, uh, Russell Bodine. I think some of the old guard linemen at the lineman position could be out the door. I think Johnson, T.J. Johnson, is probably not coming back at the end of this year. And so then you look at okay, who's a guy that they could replace him with? And just based on the fact that he would be the only, I guess, true center uh, would be. So if I'm picking someone, I'm where we're just kind of throwing darts at names because they're, yeah. you know, it's an undrafted guy. That, that's the guy I'm going with, just just based on positional need. So Brad Lundblade is the gentleman's name. Yes, uh, he went. He went. He went to Oklahoma State. And what was interesting, the Bengals entered in their uh, this little mini camp uh, over the last weekend. And they got rid of three guys that they normally that they had had, and they added three guys. Uh, so Lundblade was one of them. Stony Brook safety Tyrese Beverett was another, and uh, Ferris Bueller Bueller 
defensive tackle Chris Okoye was the other addition that they had. I have no idea if he's related to Christian Okoye or, or what have you, maybe. But I, I like that. You know, even though you weren't too familiar with Lundblade, uh, I, I do like that pick. You know, I think the Bengals are scratching for offensive linemen, especially guys that may be able to play a couple of spots so they, that they can – maximize the roster and what they're trying to do. So, uh, you know, and obviously Oklahoma state came from, uh, it, it's it, the kids coming from an explosive offense an offense that was very productive, especially in the passing game. Um, so, you know, I, he, he's got skills, uh, you know, there, and it was kind of the, a little bit of the knock on Mason Rudolph in terms of the fact that they didn't really run, you know, so-called traditional, totally under center offenses, but, um, you know, very productive and, um, you know, he's, he's got skills. So uh, good pick there. I like, I like Worley. I think, I think he, I think he's got a shot to make the roster. I really do. Especially with, you know, maybe even if he's a guy that's on there for the first four games and they put him back on the practice squad or what have you, um, you know, I, I think he's probably got more skills than some of the guys they've had. You know, I saw someone mention in the YouTube chat, Brandon Bell, uh, uh, other guys. Um, you know, I think he's got more skills. Another interesting guy, and Michael Myers uh, put this out there, Quentin Flowers. Any thoughts on him? The, the USF quarterback turned running back slash wildcat guy. Um, is he a guy you can, you can see making noise, or is it just too much of a niche type of thing and – too much of a project type of thing. I mean, there's always that chance to me. It seems more like a uh, Braxton Miller or the kid uh, from Michigan who went to Jacksonville a few years ago, whose name escapes me was a quarterback uh, played running back for a bit when they had Toby mm -hmm. Gerhardt. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. To me, uh, making that positional change isn't a guaranteed thing. And I mean, it's, you know, it's very rare you see those guys make that change from quarterback to wide receiver. I know Antoine Randall L did it, but you know, outside of that, you know, we had guys like uh, Matt Jones from Arkansas. Granted, he was very different, but more like a tight end. But for some reason, when I think of uh, Quentin, I, the name that comes to mind is Benny Brazell. I know it's different skill set, but he was a blazer, was a uh, great speed guy who they thought, hey, let's just try him at wide receiver. And I think. Uh, it seems to be when it comes to the draft and undrafted guys, when they bring kids in, there's a lot of, um, you know, where you kind of throw something to the wall and see if it sticks where, Hey, this guy's really tall. This guy's really fast. This guy's really strong. This guy's from Germany that like that, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever. Hey, let's just, and see if one of them sticks at wide receiver. And you kind of see, even with, you know, the success rate of first round picks or second round picks, it's not as easy as just saying, you know, run and catch a ball. There's a lot of nuance with, you know, reading the defense, running the right route, getting separation, you know, making those tough contested catches, you know, it's, you know, are you catching it with, you know, strong, are you, there's just a lot to it to make that adjustment. So I'd be very surprised. I mean, it's possible, but I, you know, just you based on the track record, I'd be really surprised if he does come out as a wide receiver and makes the team. The thing I could see impossible to do is maybe pull an Alex Erickson where they try him in, Special teams on punt returns, kick returns. Uh, I it'd be nice to see them try, you know, a few different guys out there and just because I assume we're not going to have Adam Jones anymore. So that opens the punt. I, I do hope that they have an open competition with Erickson and then whoever else. Because that's kind of how Erickson got the job. They gave him a chance and he wild in preseason. So 
I think if he does make the team, I think it'd be something like that where he returns a few kicks or a few punts and, you know, the team's like, wow, <laughs> did you see, do you see what that guy just did where it just becomes too impossible to keep him off the team? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I, you know, especially with uh, whether you look at him as a running back, wild, uh, you know, wildcat guy or quarterback, the Bengals brought in Logan Woodside. They have Matt Barkley. I just, Unless, you know, running back, they brought in Mark Wall. I, I just, I don't, good story. I hope, he, I hope he does well and I hope he proves me wrong. But he's got a lot to, lot to show and a lot to do before uh, he makes the final roster there. But a lot of good players in the undrafted free agent class that the Bengals brought in yet again. They do a very good job of that. And, and I do want to say, um, CincyJungle.com talks about all, all the pre-draft visits, as do a lot of the other, you know, uh, news outlets. But when you look at those, that's a pretty good indicator. Yeah, sometimes they use them on on draft picks, but that's where they really use the visits to get some of these undrafted free agents in the door and and, and get access to them and uh, talk to them. I mean, I I know they met with Flowers. I know they met with Worley. I, you know, there are a lot of guys in this undrafted free agent class that. They had pre-draft visits with, and they probably said, you know, either number one, we, we might take you late, you know, late day three, or if you don't get drafted, expect a call from us and expect a an invitation and, uh, you know, a possible opportunity to make the team. And, uh, you know, these these guys are doing it. And, and you saw Worley, he made some comments about, you know, it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but he said, yeah, well, the Browns suck, so I root for the Bengals. And, but, but he also said, I, I specifically went to Cincinnati – because I, you know, I want to make the team, I, and I have, I think I have a shot, and I like the coaches and all that kind of stuff, and and so it, that's kind of refreshing. And in, in an off season where we haven't heard all of the best news, it is refreshing to kind of hear things like that from even an undrafted free agent uh, from from a big time program like Chris Worley. I'm Anthony Cazenza. That's Scott Schultz. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. You can get this program on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, CincyJungle.com, and you can get in touch with us on Twitter at BengalsOBI and via email theobinsider at gmail.com. We appreciate all the feedback. Scott, I don't know. I I was going to ask you about some fantasy football advice. I just don't know if it's a little too early, and I don't want to put you too much on the spot. Um, I mean, it's May. Really, the only thing thing – people really would be looking at in terms of fantasy football this time of year would be in those legacy type of leagues. Uh, I'm not currently in any legacy leagues. I think you are correct. No, all of mine are redraft. Okay. So I don't know if you got any advice. Uh, I would love to hear some, but, um, or if you've got maybe a sleeper guy in the, uh, the NFL draft this year that you think could be a, a fantasy guy that not many people are talking about. Um, I'm open to it. Otherwise, let's get to listener questions. Your choice, my friend. At this, yeah, I'd say at this point I don't yet, and uh, I may have to disappear here for a second. So I'm going to say it's turn to listener questions. So I don't start with something and then just right. kind of cut out. All right. Uh, so let's do those and then and then get out of here. Um, so we we appreciate the questions we've received, and uh, some of these were from the YouTube chat that. We saw earlier uh, in the chat. Um, well, and there's also some in, in Twitter. Okay, so we're gonna try and get we're gonna try and get to uh, as many as possible. Okay, so 
there was one from listener Eshket in the live YouTube chat, and I thought this one was pretty interesting. What are the chances of Josh Malone having a breakout season? Yeah, to me, breakout season is totally subjective in how you want to classify that. Um, there, there are some fans, at least from the commenters I've seen on Cincy Jungle and Twitter and all of that, that think that Malone is a fringe roster guy. To me, I think he's pretty much the lock for the number four, number five receiver. Now, what does a number four or number five receiver really do in the Bengals' offense? I don't know. Um, I think that where he's going to kind of make his hay in in the NFL is as a, as a deep threat guy because he's a height, weight, speed guy, and in the red zone. And I look at, to me, if you remember back in 2003, for, the, from, for those of you who remember, he's kind of a Kelly Washington guy. And Kelly Washington was a guy who – you know, before Chris Henry arrived on the scene in 05 for a couple of years, he was 30 catches, 40 catches, maybe three, four touchdowns a year. Um, he was more famous for his little squirrel dance. If you remember his touchdown celebration, that was always fun. And if you don't remember it, go look up Kelly Washington's squirrel dance on YouTube. But uh, to me, if Malone has kind of a career like that, at least for a couple of years for the Bengals, where it still allows Ross to make big plays, A.J. Green to be A.J. Green, Tyler Reifer to do some things in the red zone. That's where I think uh, I, that that would be my ideal fit for a guy like Josh Malone. I don't know about you, Scott, but that's – and I don't know if that's even classified as a breakout season to some, um, but he's not going to supplant John Ross. I don't think he's going to supplant Brandon LaFell. A.J. Green's going to be the guy. I, I, I don't know. Yeah, if people are – if breakout means like uh, someone like Stefan Diggs or Willie Sneed a few years back where this kind of – or Cooper Krupp, you know, this past year, they kind of came out of nowhere, and all of a sudden it's like, man, this guy is like on pace for 1,000 yards. I don't think that is him because like you said, some of the names you mentioned, I think as of right now, you know, the Bengals' hierarchy is going to be Green, LaFell, you know, Boyd is going to get his shots as, you know, the third-year receiver – John Ross is going to get every opportunity to prove that first round status. So is your top four, I think, right there. Malone's upside, I think, this year is you know, fighting for number five. And let's say one of these guys does beat out Alex Erickson as the kicker. That opens, you know, maybe 15, 20 targets or receptions this year. So you, I'd say that number five spot is a open competition. Um, I could see, you know, Josh Malone probably having an inside track for that. And then I think if he were to break out, the biggest opportunity for him would be not in 2018, but in 2019, because that's the year when I think LaFell is no longer on the team. I think this is the last year of his contract. So obviously AJ Green's still going to be here uh, at that point, you know, Boyd and Ross have had their opportunities. They've established who they are, or who they're not going to be. And if neither of them steps up, LaFell's gone. You have, you know, you have a little window where someone can kind of step in there. I think that would be the chance where Malone, could possibly, you know, come in and be that guy, maybe be the deep guy that Ross was supposed to be. I think the challenge with Malone is um, he's never like, – Tennessee and the, with the Bengals last year was never a great catcher of the football. I think he had caught like six out of 17 targets or something last year. And, and granted, targets are targets. are not always like perfectly catchable passes. But that's still not a very good ratio. <laughs> and. And I think that's something that has to get improved upon if uh, you know he he is going to be considered a a guy in the future that 
is looked at as more than just like a, a depth guy like a Cody core or James Wright were until the next six round pick came in the next year and pushed him out. Yeah. And, and AJ greens here until uh, in Cincinnati until 2019. So after 2019, uh, his contract expires and he obviously had that huge deal where he's making essentially 11, $12 million a year. Uh, so his contract is up. So, I mean, this may be, he may be again, one of those developmental guys that, you know, all of a sudden, a couple years down the road, like you said, LaFell's gone. Maybe A.J. Green is either gone or at the back end of his career and, and he signs kind of a team-friendly deal. Um, I mean, you have to understand A.J. Green's in his eighth season eighth season coming in here. I mean, that's pretty crazy to think about. So, um, you know, and by the time that his contract expires, he's going to be entering his 10th season. So, uh, you know, I mean uh, – business decisions are to be made there. But um, I think Malone's going to just kind of be a role player this year. Uh, maybe, maybe spot big play here and there. And, um, you know, just given his six, three stature, he is a guy that you can use in the red zone. So we'll see there, but uh, I, I don't know if I see like a breakout year, a, a year where he's going to supplant Brandon LaFell or anything like that. But uh you know, he's got big playability, and he's got good size. Uh, I, I did see some other comments, just kind of a little asterisk on this on this last question here, Scott. Any thoughts on Auden Tate, the seventh-round pick out of Florida State, the, another guy who's a red zone guy, big guy, six, I think he's 6'4", 6'5", 220, 230, um, almost tight endish type of size. Uh, you think he can do anything in terms of cracking the roster and making, uh, you know, making some plays or – is he kind of a developmental practice squad guy? I'm guessing he's practice squad. Uh, I know he's a yeah, he's a bigger body receiver. One of those guys that has the frame that you're looking for. I think they would probably still have to work on things like separation and you know routes and some of that kind of stuff with him. He's a guy that they can probably get in the practice squad without too much difficulty. You know, kind of given that how far he fell, pretty much to the end of the draft. That I think teams aren't probably are not going to use a spot on their 53 man roster to take him from the Bengals. So barring something like a Desmond Briscoe thing where, you know, another team overpays to put him on their practice squad, I'd say he's a, he should have a good chance of making the Bengals practice squad if they go that route. Yeah. And, I, then, and he, and he apparently looked good in the, the rookie minicamp this last weekend. So. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, what, what, what I hope doesn't hurt him is the last name Tate. And, uh, you know, he's, I think he's wearing number 19 as well, which is just, oh, buddy, you gotta, you, you gotta, you gotta know better. Um, we did get a question on Twitter. I, I don't want to spend a ton of time on this because it is so early, but the, the dude who sent it to us, Carlos Andre is an awesome guy, a big supporter of the program. Um, essentially asking the question, if everything goes well, previous injured guys play the whole season, meaning Ross and Eifert and others, I assume, we're, he's asking about Super Bowl. Uh, very early for me to even answer this question remotely. You know, to me, I even though preseason games mean nothing, you do see some things on film there that that do bode bode well or not well for a team into the season. I don't want to go into this. I think this is maybe a question we readdress. Uh, you know, a couple months down the road, maybe in August, that sort of thing. But to me, this. I 
my thing is Super Bowl way too high up aspirations for this team right now. I mean, I, I want them to aim for that. I want the, that locker room to aim for that. But for me, I don't see that happening. But I am hired on them. And I, I wrote a, a post on this on Cincy Jungle kind of asking the question, like, why why are, why are is the national media and national pundits, why are they so low on the Bengals? Um, it kind of seems like maybe it just wasn't a sexy draft class and, you know, they just haven't had good seasons the past couple of years. I, I, don't, I don't think we should be talking about Super Bowl yet. But I also think, I, I, you know, there, there are guys that have them picking number two overall next year. Uh, I don't see that happening. So, I don't know. Your, your take on that, Scott. It's like what Jim Moore said. Playoffs. Yeah, playoffs. Playoffs. <laughs> that being said, I uh, yeah, I think number two is too, way too the As far as Super Bowl, the one thing I'll throw out in this, you probably won't change until they prove me wrong. With, as long as Marvin Lewis is the head coach, who you know is 0-7, whatever, in – Playoff games, it's very hard to assume they're going to be anywhere near a playoff yeah. as long as he's there. The one exception, I think, was in 2015 that the team was just so good with all the assistant coaches they had. Everything was clicking. Eifert was healthy. You know, Hugh Jackson was running a very good uh, offense. The defense, you know, every, everything was kind of clicking off until Dalton got hurt. Yeah. They looked like a team that was, you know, they were, they were beating good teams. They were beating up on bad teams. They were – yeah, they were ten and two, and Dalton went down. Yeah, Marvin Lewis could not do enough to slow that down. I mean, that train, you know, that CSX intermodal train was going down the track. And no matter how hard Lewis was grabbing the back of it, you know, grabbing the end of train signal and had his feet, you know, bumping on the railroad ties, trying to stop that thing, he just could not get that train stopped. And now, great way that train's not moving. So a lot easier. So you know, if if we see from Terrell Austin, if we see, you know okay, this offensive coordinator now has a whole year to run, you know, the offense kind of get things lined up. You know, you've replaced some of the holes at center at left tackle. You kind of get some of these things fixed. Uh, you could, I think you could possibly get to a point where they're just so good. They can overcome the Marvin Lewis factor. I mean, <laughs> early. So that's very optimistic. That's, I'm laughing because it's just such a great, like, Oh, they're, the team is so good. They can overcome their own head coach. It's just like such a funny thought. If you, if you actually break it down and think but about it. But that's what they have to do, what they did in right. 2015. Right. Where you, you know, right. Eifert stays healthy the whole year, you fix the line, and you get to a point where we are just so good that Marvin, that not even Marvin Lewis can slow us down. You know, like, he, just get out, get out of your own way. Don't even bother. Just let the guys do their thing. <laughs> yeah, and where he's basically on the track and the train just goes, uh, yeah. 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 Something he's going to derail it. He's just going to, you know, uh, get picked up by the cow catcher, and you know those kind of. <laughs> now, if no one knows anything about trains, and just re- disregard everything I said. Just the main point was, yeah, if they are, if they can get to a point where they're good enough to overcome Lewis, otherwise, Super Bowl I think is a bit. Oh, I, I think we understood the visual. We understood okay. the visual. I, I think we got it. I, if anyone who's watched any kind of Looney Tunes or whatever knows the 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 visual you're kind of talking about there, but um, yeah. I, too early for you know, and I, I, I guess I, it's better that this team is underrated rather than overrated going into this season. So there's that. I think a major, major. Just again, we'll readdress this question maybe more in August, but a major factor has to be health, especially on offense, and it has to be the offensive line. I mean, that's just it is what it is. They've got talent in other spots. They kind of reloaded some other spots. Um, you know it. 
I think there are the, the, the problem with this 2018 team is there are major ifs, you know, it's, it's John Ross, it's Tyler Eifert, it's the offensive line. It's uh, you know, can, can some of the aging guys on the defensive line, Michael Johnson, Carlos Dunlap, Geno Atkins continue their production or can Michael John, you know, some people laugh at the Michael Johnson production thing, but can they keep that up? Uh, I mean, we're talking about guys now who are entering their ninth and 10th season, uh, depending on which guy you're talking about. Um, so can they keep up some of the production that they've been giving the defense? And can some of these young guys fill in for Vontez Perfect? Will Vontez Perfect even play the entire 12 games that he's slated to play because he battles injuries? So it, it, there's a lot of ifs. But I think if the ifs all fall in line and they do fall into an area of like, wow, that John Ross works out. Eifert stays healthy. Perfect plays 12 games. It is awesome. Geno Atkins continues to be Geno Atkins, and so does Carlos Dunlap. Guys like Sam Hubbard and Carl Lawson and all that help out the pass rush. A guy like Jesse Bates can turn the ball over in nickel packages. All of a sudden, you're looking at this is a, it's a good team. You know, Joe Mixon takes a step in, in year two. Geo does Geo things. Um, you know, this, this it's a pretty good team. It's just it's it's it. There are a lot of a lot of puzzle pieces that need to come together in order for this team to even be talking about playoff Super Bowl, anything like that. And if it does, awesome. Unfortunately, this team is just not always the team that gets the best draw of things, the best luck. Uh, so we'll see. We'll, we'll maintain positivity, though. I'm going to tie two questions in together, Scott, so we can get out of here. But I think they are somewhat interrelated. Uh, Dean Burke in the YouTube chat says, talk, basically asked about Marvin and uh, playing rookies. Um, and he does say excluding Price, but playing rookies, I think Price is a necessity there. Um, so playing rookies, do you think he's going to be willing to do that? And then kind of a, a, a piggyback on that, and it's from Austin Tran, about Frank Pollock's development of the offensive line. Obviously, Billy Price plays into that. So uh, if you can kind of maybe tie those in together in a nice, neat ribbon, nice, neat bow, uh, that would be great. And uh, I, I don't really know what I think about these two. So that's why I'm letting you bet lead off on this one. Let's see. I would say as far as playing rookies, I mean, Marvin is still Marvin. I know um, even if they've hinted it, maybe they're going to play rookies more. It's one of those things that, yeah, he says a lot of things. I mean – Last year, they were saying some things before the season two. They were saying uh, Cedric Abway, he could play offensive line. They were saying uh, Bodine was a good center. They were, you know, they were saying we're going to – every year you kind of hear, you know, we're going to change things, we're going to change things, we're going to do things different. This offense is going to be more dynamic or we're going to, you know, run the ball more and then they get three yards of carry. And, you know, until he shows it, I just – I think after 16 years or whatever it's been – I think it's very hard to believe Marvin Lewis is suddenly going to play rookies. So outside necessity, which I think right now is Frank or Billy Price. I think everybody else is more uh, rotational at this point where the first half of the year, you know, you'll see them kind of rotate in and out occasionally. And then maybe the second half of the year you see, you know, where maybe they start getting a third, the snaps defensively uh, in addition to special teams play. If they do more than that, that'd be really cool. I'd, surprised as far as the development of the offensive line the biggest thing i want to see is the 
I'm very curious who they start at right guard and right tackle because mm -hmm. obviously with Alexander there, you knew it was going to be Bodine at center forever. They were probably going to keep throwing Obwehi out there. With him gone, they obviously upgraded left tackle with uh, Cordy Glenn, who they traded for. They still have uh, Clint Bowling at left guard. You now have a new center. But then right guard, you kind of have a three-headed race with uh, Trey Hopkins, who started there most of last year, Westerman and Redmond, who rotated the last two games at right guard. I think Westerman started two games and then – or I think it rotated left guard. And then Redmond came in as backup – so I think those two, those three are probably competing for that one right guard spot. So it'll be very interesting to see how that shakes out and to see if maybe one of those guys is, ends up being really great. And it's another Evan Mathis, Nate Livings thing where we're like, man, that guy's so good. Why did we leave him on the bench for so long? And then right tackle. Right tackle right now is a very interesting thing because it's just, you know, it's almost like which guy's the least worst <laughs> because you have a way he was, you know, we've, I think everyone who's done anything media-wise has beat up on him. So, yeah, he's we, we know his story. He struggled in college, struggled at right tackle in 2016, struggled at left tackle in 2017. He'll probably get a chance if he uh, isn't cut before the end of the year or before you know the season starts. I think he will get a chance. I'd be surprised if he gets it. But then you look at the competition, you're like, well, maybe he has a really good chance because you have – Jake Fisher, who unfortunately hasn't been much better, although he did have the uh, heart dysrhythmia. So you kind of hope, you know, maybe that was holding him back. And now that he's fully healthy, maybe he ha he's rejuvenated. He has, you know, the heart. I don't know. I'm not a medical doctor. I don't know how, you know, a heart, uh, an irregular heartbeat affects him uh, if that takes away strength or blood, whatever. But now if he's fully healthy, he's in the competition. But then, you have to figure, well, would this come back? Could this be a setback? Could he have a complication from it? So he's kind of in the mix. He might be the leading guy, but there's a huge question with him medically. Yeah, Bobby Hart, who's in the mix, who looked when he was signed as just like an insurance guy until they get the right tackle in the draft. Then they use 11 picks, and they don't take a left tackle. It's like, I guess this guy's in the mix now. And and he was a guy that you know was not very good with the Giants. They ended up cutting him. They are were some rumors he kind of quit on the team and just struggled and was not, I think pro football focus for whatever it's worth rated him 78th out of 83 right tackles last year or tackles last year. So has never shown any ability. And then you have Kent Perkins, who's kind of this odd man out who I think might be in a fan favorite just because he was an undrafted guy. He looked good in very limited snaps last year in preseason. So at this point, you know, any one of those guys, you know, it's not like we have Willie Anderson <laughs> sitting there. It's kind of like, I, I don't know. So with uh, Frank, I guess long story short, with Frank Pollock, I'm just very curious to see how that shakes out. You know, which of these three guys who all look like they could be qualified at right guard, which of them turns out to be the guy? And then at right tackle from this mix of, you know, question mark upon question mark of unproven of guys who have struggled can he manage to turn one of them into a solid, decent right tackle? Or maybe that right tackle is on another team right now, and we're going to grab him on cut down day. I'd yeah, yeah. There, there are the post-June 1st cuts, and then the Bengals have made the occasional move after final cuts. Uh, you know, th there are some surprising final cuts from teams, and they, you know, Brandon Tate was a guy that they picked up on that regard. They've made some off-season trades in the past, whether it's for – 
Cordy Glenn or Kelly Jennings or Reggie Nelson or who, what have you. I mean, they've, they've made a number of trades before. So that, you know, that's an option as well. Um, I, I do want to say, you mentioned Bobby Hart. What's interesting, if you look at Bengals.com and their roster, they have him as a guard slash tackle. So uh, he was never a guard, at least to my knowledge, with the Giants. So pretty interesting that they have him as kind of a swing guy. I, I think if Frank Pollock can get something, uh, re- even remotely looking at solid to above average starter out of Jake Fisher or Cedric Abwehi, I think I think getting it out of both is at this point, it's not going to happen. Um, if he can get one of them to be an above average or you know slightly above average starter uh, at right tackle, I think that that is a that would be a major feather in his cap. It sounds like based on all of the guys that are working on the offensive line, they they really like what they see out of Frank Pollock. I think Billy Price has is a shoe in for center position unless he's not healthy, um, unless that injury just does not heal correctly then the Bengals have some major decisions to do there. But, you know, I think uh, he is making a major impact on that. And, and this is this goes back to what I was talking about with maybe a little bit of a lack of love from the national media in that, you know, it isn't all about the draft picks. It isn't all about the offseason acquisitions from per, from a personnel standpoint. Yes, that's obviously all of it. Or it's a good portion of it, but you have to look at coaching changes. And I think maybe why they're not so keen on the Bengals is because Marvin Lewis is back. But under him, you mentioned Terrell Austin, defensive coordinator. He's a guy that's a hot name. He had head coaching consideration going into this offseason. You know, the Bengals bring in different secondary coaches. They bring in a new offensive line coach in Frank Pollock. Um, so, you know, they've made changes and sometimes the coaching changes make all the difference. Uh, and we'll see, I, I'm going to give you my, and we're going to get out of here in just a second here, Scott, I'm going to give you my prediction as to the, and again, we're in freaking mid-May, but I'm going to give you my starting five offensive linemen as we sit here today on Wednesday evening, May 16th and you know, you can download the show later. Uh, it might not be May 16th when you listen to this program. But I have, obviously, Cordy Glenn at left tackle, Clint Bowling, left guard, Billy Price, center. I have Christian Westerman at right guard. And I have uh, Jake Fisher as a starting right tackle. Um, I don't know if you differ from me, but that's that's kind of what I have. I have Cedric Abwehi being a swing backup at left tackle and right tackle, and I have Bobby Hart being a swing backup at guard and right tackle. Um, and then, you know, maybe either T.J. Johnson or this young the, – the, the gentleman we talked about earlier from Oklahoma State is maybe the swing center guard backup type of guy. But I, I that's who I have as the starting five. That seems – I think that's generally the consensus. There's actually a post on Cincy Jungle uh, that I think – yeah, I was going to say I think I wrote, but yeah, I know, I know I wrote it. I think it came out today is what I was trying to you think. sure? Actually, sure? <laughs> pretty sure, although they always get edited. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess my English isn't good or enough or something. They usually get tweaked in you know, different titles, whatever. Anyway. Me no uh, speak English? That's impossible? 
Yeah. <laughs> For you Simpson fans out there, that was the Simpsons line. Anyway, go ahead. So anyway, Aaron, it goes over the offensive linemen and it goes over every player. What are their odds of starting? You know, who who are the starting guys going to be and at the end of this? So if you haven't, if you're listening to this and you have not gone to the site, feel free to go to the site. I think you can find a link to that article on my Twitter, even though I don't send, I think it just goes automatically because I don't actually tweet or whatever uh, regularly. But anyway, uh, at the bottom is a poll and you can vote who is going to be the right tackle this year. And the consensus uh, two thirds was Jake Fisher. Mm -hmm. He is by far the big winner. I will point out uh, Perkins and Bobby Hart are both around 10, 12% other and there's not really an other on the team right now. Other got twice as many, over twice as many votes as a boy he has. Interesting. So it kind of tells you what team, what fans think of a boy. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you know, and there was another another post on cincyjungle.com. Uh, you know, or I, I can't remember if it was Cincy Jungle or another site, but it was talking about you know the validity of trading Cedric Abuehi this off season. And you know, I just I don't see it. You're not going to get much in return and. I mean, at least, you know, even if he doesn't prove to be an improved player this offseason, at a minimum, you have a former first-round pick who's going to be, you know, a backup, a guy that you can plug in for a couple of games if you need to and, and that sort of thing. But, right, you know, it's so funny. From center to left tackle, it's like basically in cement at this point, especially now that the draft's done. It's that right side that's that's very strange, and you know the Bengals drafted uh, a, a, an offensive lineman in their in the seventh round. I um, I don't think he has the ability to to crack the starting lineup, but that's that's me. Um, you know, I, I, at least not in 2018. I think that that is maybe something that could be a possibility down the road. Uh, I just. And this kind of goes in, back into the question. I, I didn't really address this, but this kind of goes back into the question of Marvin Lewis playing, you know, uh, young guys and um, all of that. I, I just, you know, I just, uh, I, I think the Bengals have a pretty good idea as to what they're going to do on the offensive line and, and it could change. Yeah. Rod Taylor is the gentleman I'm thinking of the seventh round pick offensive guard. Um, you know, the Bengals have a pretty good idea as to what they're going to do, especially with those three positions. It's just, you know, are they going to let him duke it out? And I, I would prefer to see Westerman. I think Westerman has much more upside than, than others um, at, at the guard spot, but we'll see. And uh, I'd like to see, I'd like to, you know, I, I'd like to see either Fisher or Abuehi, um turn their careers around and and potentially get, become starting guys. But I think it's going to be one or the other, not both. That's just, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't see them doing much of anything. And I think, you know, if if like I said, if Frank Pollock can do something and, and get something out of those guys, I think that's a big feather in his cap and a and will be a big key for the Bengals in 2018. Scott, any final yeah. thoughts? Yeah, one thing I just wanted to throw this out or offer this up while we're talking about Frank Pollock and offensive line, because I know a lot of folks are talking about how great you know, the Cowboys line was. He was a Cowboys offensive line coach. So he is clearly, you know, the, the godsend of offensive line coaches. He's going to come here. 
and the Bengals are going to go from horrible to great. One thing I just want to throw out as a word of, I don't know, precaution or just something I was kind of thinking because I looked into it and I'm like, well, you know, before we get a little too excited, <laughs> if you look at the Cowboys offensive line, Tyron Smith was already there. Uh, Pollock became their offensive line coach in 2015. You know, Tyron Smith, the left tackle, was already an all-pro by that point. He had been in the with the Cowboys four years, was a two-time pro bowler, already a all-pro. Travis Fed- Frederick was already there two years, already a pro bowler. Zach Martin had already been there, had already been named all-pro. Uh, the only starter was really Lyle Collins, who was drafted, or I guess he joined them. Uh, he wasn't drafted. He supposed to have been drafted. He was, you know, first round prospect that fell off. Yeah, that, that was, yeah, that whole thing was like, what? So they kind of, and I don't know why no one drafted this kid, but uh, that being said, you, you know, the line, he pretty much had an awesome line when he stepped in there. It wasn't like he came in and he said, Ooh, get that Frederick guy or let's get the, you know, he was basically, uh, you know, he walked into a situation that had a great line, you know, with great people who were already there, who are already, playing at a very high level. Uh, so I just you know, want to make sure we keep that in mind and just uh, don't assume that because he stepped into a great situation that he's going to step into a situation in Cincy, which was anything but great last year, and then instantly turn it around. So Yeah, I, I, think, I think we have to exercise caution about uh, all of that. But, I, I, you know, and again, a lot, unfortunately, a lot of this stuff that, um, you know you're you're right, but I will say he was he, uh, he he was the offensive line coach from 15 to 17. He was the assistant offensive line coach from 13 to 14 with the Cowboys. Um, so I mean he, he does have some experience there, and and I think you know whether it's assistant level or not, that's something to note. But uh, yeah, I, I think we got to exercise caution and. Um, you know, I think a lot of people think that Pollock's going to be this miracle worker on the offensive line. He very well could be. And, and what we're hearing from Bengals offensive line players, you know, it sounds like they are receptive to what he's doing and he is doing things in a much different way than Paul Alexander, which, you know, Paul Alexander had his good, his strong points as a coach. I've mentioned it on this program that, you know, I have, I have a contact who is a college football coach and, Paul Alexander, in terms of offensive line coaching, is one of the most highly regarded coaches at that rank uh, across the country, and people travel across the country to go to go hear him speak at public things about coaching and and all of that. But he was with the team for almost three decades, and who knows? Maybe things got a little stale, and uh, change for the sake of change is good. And you know, I think Pollock for the most part, is, is bringing a nice change to the Bengals and, and their offensive line. Scott, any final thoughts before we get out of here? Uh, not really, just that it's late. and I'm, I may just stay awake because that's a good thought. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I know you've, you're juggling a lot, and uh, you know I, I appreciate uh, you coming on and, and doing what you do and bringing the knowledge that you do. Um, you are much appreciated in this program, my friend. And I uh, thank you to all of the listeners who have uh, stayed with us, uh, not only live tonight, but who have downloaded the program uh, on different platforms and whatnot. You can get this program on YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, cincyjungle.com, and you can get in touch with the program via email, theobinsider at gmail.com, and via Twitter at BengalsOBI. 
that's going to do it for us tonight. We talked about a number of topics, and it sounds like the, you know, things are looking okay right now. It's early. The Bengals have a lot to do this summer, and there may be more acquisitions on the way. But for the most part, they've got the roster set. It looks pretty good, and uh, they're they're making steps in the right direction. Let's hope it pays off in the regular season. I'm Anthony Cazenza. He's Scott Schultz. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time. Hello, I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.